0: So, what we celebrate, you ready for the word this morning? I mean, there's certain weeks I can't wait to preach, and this is one of them. Who's, who's laughing? Because they know I say that every week. Yeah, I know. But this week we celebrate what? Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphant, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, if you spent any amount of time in church or if you were paying attention in Sunday school, you already know something about Palm Sunday. How many have heard that term before, Palm Sunday? Just about everybody, I would think. And you know that you know that Jesus rides into the city on a colt and a donkey and and, and you know that a crowd is gathered. And they're, pulling, they're, they're, they're they're waving palm branches. They're pulling palm branches off and, and waving palm branches and laying down their coats and clothing on the ground as Jesus marches in and rides in on this donkey. And all of a sudden, you know the Scripture. We'll read it here in a minute. The crowd begins to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that account is given to us in all four Gospels. You can read about it in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in John, but in our lesson today we're going to read it from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you this morning, turn to the Gospel of Luke beginning in chapter 19 beginning around verse 28. It'll be on the screen as well so as we read it and follow along. But Luke 19 in verse 28. If you have it, say Amen. That's enough for me. After Jesus had said this, said what? He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As He approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead, went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, one of the owners actually asked them, why are you untying this colt? Hey, where are you going with my colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. I tried this at the car cruise last year when I walked up to the hot rod that I really liked. And I got down and got inside. The guy says, what are you doing? I said, the Lord needs it. He said, -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. The Lord needs it, they said, just as Jesus has said. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as He went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When He came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. If you can highlight anything in your Bible, underline it, or however you highlight it on your app, do that. That they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Moving on. Blessed, this is what they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said that Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now as we think about and meditate on God's word this morning, And as we enter into the season of Holy Week, I want to talk to you about a standing ovation. A standing ovation. Within each and every human heart, whether it's spoken out loud or whether it remains hidden and quiet, within each and every human heart, there's a deep, deep desire to be appreciated. There's a deep desire to be affirmed. There's this desire we all have, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have this desire to be recognized and respected for what you've done. Any any area of life, whether it's your home life, your work life, relationships, whatever it is, there's this desire in some way, shape, or form, some it's bigger, some it's smaller, but to be affirmed. There's a desire to be recognized Truth be told, all of us need, do need those safe, uh, safe places and spaces where we can be acknowledged and appreciated, where we can be respected. But within all of us, if you would agree with me this morning by saying amen, there's a desire at some moments in our life for someone to kind of come back and pat us on the back and say, hey, good job. We appreciate you. Nice job. We like that. For someone to acknowledge the work that we've done for someone just to give us a little bit of a, an applaud or, or someone to just maybe not a standing ovation, but just a little recognition, a little attaboy, a little... Some of us have that wired in us where we so need that. I think all of us have some of that in us. All of us wants to walk in a room and have people stand up and clap or applaud at our presence to know that we truly matter. It speaks to the very heart of our, of our soul's that they recognize the hard work that we've done and the sacrifices we might have made and what we've done for people. All of us kind of want that moment of gratitude. Parents know that. They want their kids just to be thankful once in a while, just a little bit. How many have reminded their kids in the last month or week or year, y'all ought to be thankful for what you do have? How many have thought, thought or told someone, especially maybe a younger person, maybe even a child, someday... You'll thank me for this. <laughs> but all of us want that moment of gratitude or thanksgiving when we, when we know that we've earned it and we've merited it. And we see that even with children in their minds. They want that little star. They want that little affirmation sticker on their homework. Good job. They want that little thing. Hey, nice, nice work. Good way, way to go. We see in the lives of teenagers as they want affirmation from, from their friends to, that they're going to fit in. To be popular, to be accepted, even as adults, whether you speak it or not, you, we all of us we desire that acknowledgement for the work that we've done. At some point, you know, we've all remember uh, those of us that are parents remember those. And this is what I miss about my kids being young and little. When we open the door, right, and maybe after a hard day of, of work or whatever it is we were doing, we open the door and they run in. Daddy's home. Oh. And there's just that moment where you're like, oh, all right, today was worth it. <laughs> today was all worth it. But We want to feel appreciated. It's the human desire to be appreciated that makes the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem something that's worthy of our attention this morning. By the time we get to Luke chapter 19, if you measure about in public accounts and if you measure it by success in ministry, really Jesus' ministry up to this point... Hasn't, very, hasn't done very well in the eyes of society and all public accounts. His ministry has been somewhat of a failure up to this point. He's been isolated in Galilee, an, eco, an economically depressed region. Up until this point, he's been rejected by people because he was born to a teenage mother, if you remember, under some kind of skeptical and shady circumstances. And, and above all, he's come from Nazareth. And you know what the Bible says about Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Nothing. The Pharisees have discredited him multiple times, at least twice. And a mob has formed. They're trying to plot to kill him because his teachings are so unpopular. And his followers at most, at the the high point, were about 5,000. And then they dropped down to about 100 when they found out he didn't have any more fish and loaves to feed them. And his disciples, his inner circle, his, his crowd that he hangs with is a ragtag group of nobodies. And they don't even really understand who he is or his mission up to this point. And they're very confused. They're always questioning him and, him and each other. By all intents and purposes, if you look from the outside looking in, not knowing anything that has happened after this point, Jesus' ministry has not really gone very well. No matter how many miracles he's performed, Jesus never made the 40 under 40 in Jerusalem. His Instagram page was never verified. He was never on the cover of religion today. He wasn't invited to preach at all the cool conferences. If he had a podcast, it never got more than 100 followers. No book he wrote was ever on the bestseller list. Jesus is not very good at what he does he's been kind of a failure and now this man who's been a failure for most of his ministry enters into Jerusalem and all of a sudden everything has changed he's the man of the hour a crowd has gathered a crowd that's celebrating and acknowledging and they're applauding and they're giving him a standing ovation he's the man he's the host of the Passover parade he's the VIP all of a sudden here he comes And this crowd is gathered together. They're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this man, who's been a failure, is now getting a standing ovation. And you know what Jesus does? Nothing. Nothing. He says nothing. He rides in on a humble colt and he ignores it. It's almost as if the crowd doesn't matter at this point. They're giving him this standing ovation, and Jesus keeps on riding in, pretty much ignoring the crowd. Now pay attention here. This is what makes Jesus a whole lot better than me and you, probably. Because of my ministry up to that that point... If people had been rejecting me and a mob gathered and I heard they wanted to kill me and things weren't going very well and, and people were falling off and falling out and people were getting mad and, and, and really all the things we said, are, said at Jesus' ministry, if my ministry had failed like that, if, it failed, if people had failed to appreciate who I really was and, have, and nobody had really followed or acknowledged me for any length of time up till this moment and people were trying to kill me and now they're applauding me, this might have gone a whole different way when I come into Jerusalem. And maybe you too. You know, you would arrive and you saw all these people making this big deal and standing ovation. And you go, all right now, right. Now this is what I'm talking about. All these people up until now, man, he's a failure. He's not, he's not, you know, doing, they don't understand the big big picture. They don't get it up until this point, until he rides in. And they've given him disrespect and disloyalty and wanted to kill him and all of that. And now you ride in and all these people, you're like, yeah, that's right. That's right, y'all. Look, Yeah, that's right. And you look around and you see the crowds. You know, you, know you might be walk, riding into the crowd. You're like, that's right. Come on over here, guys. Right. Look at this. This is what it's about. I'll be signing some autographs. Oh yeah, come on over now. You want it. That's right. Come on. And, and you know, I might get Matthew. Matthew, make sure you get this on live. Get recording this thing, right? And you're, and you're coming in. You're finally getting the appreciation from these people that, you, that the world would say, you know what? He's finally getting his just desserts. He's coming into the city and he's riding in. And all these people that didn't believe him and didn't believe in him and all this stuff, now they're gathered around. And Jesus doesn't do that. He pretty much ignores it. Now what does this now what does this teach us, right? Jesus always with the teachable moments to the disciples and to us. He rides in and all this pomp and circumstance and Hosanna and the palms and the coats and the whole thing and he's like, Okay, I'm riding in. And he knows those people. He knows what, you know, he knows they weren't there maybe even a day ago. What is what is it about a standing ovation or applause that Jesus is trying to teach us? What is it about seeking affirmation and acknowledgement and recognition and respect from people that we learn from Jesus as Jesus basically ignores the standing ovation? Well, one of the things I think we learn, and I hope you'll see it very clearly this morning, is that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is trying to teach us that human applause cannot confirm godly purpose. The affirmation and the applause of people can never truly affirm or acknowledge the call of God on your life. Right? Amen is right. Jesus acts as if their presence and their praise doesn't matter because He knows that this crowd can never truly affirm what God has already called Him to do, which is to sacrifice His very life on Calvary's cross. And the fact that people like it, the fact that people are clapping for him, the fact that people approve something doesn't mean that God has ordained it in your life as well. The fact that people approve it or like like it or applaud you doesn't mean that it's what God has for you. The fact that people, they, they approve it, they applaud it doesn't mean that God has ordained it. You've got to be careful of making the approval of people synonymous with the calling of God they're not the same and that's a word today because we live in a world that is shaped by the dynamics in today's world of acceptance, of approval and social media feeds right into that social media creates and shapes this generation of people who are addicted to the affirmation and applause of the crowd and it's really just revealing what we've wanted all of our lives anyway like any tool, uh, social media can be used. And I'm not going to have another sermon dissing social media, although I can if you, if you clap right now. No, I'm kidding. But any, like any tool, it can be used constructively or destructively. And the truth of matter, the matter is that there are a couple detrimental effects that social media does have on the child of God that we need to be aware of. And number one, that the world is always cha- telling us that we need to chase celebrity. We need to chase celebrity. We're offered instantaneous and unmerited celebrity status. You can be a celebrity today, how many know this? You can be a celebrity today without an ounce of talent. And everyone said, ain't that right. You can be well known without achieving anything. You can have thousands of followers of followers, never having made a contribution in any positive way to society at all. And as a result, there are those who are always seeking after that celebrity status, chasing down followers, doing whatever it takes to get likes and retreat, retweets, and getting the, trying to earn that vaunted, vaulted blue check mark next to your name, saying that you are somebody. Chasing celebrity. The second detrimental effect is not only this constant chasing of celebrity, but it's, this, is the more, this is the more dangerous one in society today and around our children especially. But boy, if you would just honor me with your admission as an adult that this is you too. Um, we, we, uh, we're in continual comparison. Continual. Constant and continual comparison. It used to be with our neighbors, right? Keeping up with the... Right! Constant comparison, right? Well, look at their beautiful, small, little life and how they have their own picket fence in the paved driveway and the whatever. But today it's been accelerated, and especially when social media puts you in a realm where you're always looking at the snapshot of someone else's life and you're comparing yourself to it. Look how many followers they have. Look how many likes she got. Look how many retweets. Look at the posts. Look at the reposts. And whether you consciously know it or not, It creates this environment where we're always comparing our lives to the lives of someone else. And the Word of God reminds us that it's unwise to compare yourself to someone else. Can I teach you why this morning? All right, thank you. Whoever said sure, that's one person. Come on up, we'll teach. We'll just do it together. Here's why. Because you know what? In, in 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 the online world, they have a unique tool called a filter. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? A filter. I'm going to educate you. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's a filter. And if you've never known what a filter is, it makes things look better, right? You can filter the way you look online, the way your situation looks online. You can create certain filters, Filters make people look better than they really are. And, and I found one, I found many. Don't go down this rabbit hole on your phone. Reality versus Instagram. or Don't, don't do that. Especially not here in church. Look up at me. But one that I did find, and, and this is a, creating another reality. When your reality is one thing, you can filter what people see, right? Come on, is this? Right? Me on social media. Look at me riding high in a jet plane with the window next to me. Me in real life, you know, being all tan. Me in real life, huddled up next to the dryer waiting for things to get done in the dryer of the washing machine. That's really... So you can do this. You can project and filter your life so that people see what you want them to see. And they're doing the same thing to you. But filters hide a lot of flaws. They make things seem perfect and they hide reality. And filters make things more glamorous that may really have some ugliness to them. And I came to tell you this morning, be careful comparing your life to someone's filtered appearance. And you need to stop. I always tell people this, you need to stop comparing your behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Because at the end of the day, everybody's got some struggle. Everybody's got some things that they're not proud of. You can't compare yourself to a filtered picture and a filtered image, that a filtered light that doesn't really bear the reality of the ugliness that people deal with day in and day out. Because of uh, things like this, we chase celebrity and we compare. As a result, we've created a generation that is addicted to human approval. Always seeing who commented, who retreated, who liked, who followed, who posted. And I believe the message this Palm Sunday that we learned from Jesus and, and coming into the Jerusalem, every now and then you got to make a decision between chasing after the approval of people, Hosanna, and being committed to the call of God on your life. Because there will be some moments when the call of God in your life is absolutely contradictory to what the crowd appreciates and applauds. There will be some moments when you've got to choose between what has God called me to do and what the crowd expects me to do. And this is where Jesus was coming into the town. And I believe that human applause and approval, hear me church, human applause and approval is one of the enemy's greatest tools to pull you away from what God has called and created you to do. I'll say that again. Searching after applause and approval is the enemy's greatest way to pull you away from what God has created you to do. Watch this. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and when He does, watch the crowd crying out. Everybody say it. The word. Hosanna. Right. Everybody's crying out, Hosanna, as He comes into town. And you know what? The, the word of Hosanna, can I, can I teach you a little bit this morning? The word Hosanna, if you studied the word, you already know, Hosanna is not a title, it's not a noun, here comes Hosanna. No, Hosanna is a verb, it's an interjection. And what Hosanna literally means is save us. Save us. Now here's the thing, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and the crowds are not lifting up His name, they're asking Him to do something. Save us. And biblically, the cry Hosanna is a cry of the people of God to be saved from the political oppression from the Roman government. That's the real reason. Oh, Jesus. They're saying, save us, Jesus, from Rome. But Jesus has not come to deliver them from Rome. He's come to deliver them from sin. And the only way to acknowledge Hosanna is is to abandon what God had called Him to do, to die on the cross for their sin. Jesus, save us from Rome. So the crowd hollers, Hosanna. Jesus has this decision. Do I stay committed to what God has called me to do? Or yield to the crowd and do what they want me to do? Jesus had the power to do that. And what I want to tell you this morning is that every now and then, What the crowd wants from you is not what God has called you to or called you to be. And that one of the quickest ways for the enemy to pull you outside of God's ordained plan for your life is to tempt you with the taste of human approval. And you'll abandon what God has called you to do because you believe if people applaud it, if people like it, if people follow, if people clap, then it must be what God wants from me. And I believe that Jesus, the reason Jesus can ignore the cry and the applaud and the standing ovation of the people is because he spent enough time alone with God to know what God wants from him. See, this is a Jesus who spent 40 days in the wilderness and with God and knows what God wants from him. This is a Jesus who ran away from the crowds to go up on a mountain at one point to be alone with God. He knows what God wants from him. This is a Jesus who was at the Jordan River and the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him. And he, know, he knew beyond a shadow of anything that he knew that God was for him and he had something for him to do. He knew what God wanted him to do. This is a Jesus who stood in the temple and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for I know what God has called me to do. And let me tell you something this morning. The more you spend time alone with God, the less you'll seek after human approval. The more time you spend on your, knee, your knees, the less you'll be tempted by human claps, follows, likes, and, af- and affirmation. The more you know that God is content with you, the less you'll be concerned with whether people like you or not. Are not the strongest people in the kingdom of God the ones who are convicted and compelled to be what God has called them to be and they won't waver or sacrifice anything for anyone else? Aren't they the strongest people you know? Jesus ignores the crowd because He knows. He knows this is not the crowd that's been following Him all along from Galilee. Read your Bible, you'll be a better Christian. This crowd showed up for Passover. They were already in the city. And they heard the rumors that Jesus was coming into town. And they showed up, and the Gospel of John says this. Watch this. Read your Bible, you'll be a better Christian. The Gospel of John says this. Because they had heard about Lazarus, that's why they showed up. In John chapter 12... Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So when the people had seen Lazarus raised from the dead, that's kind of a big deal. And so they started spreading the word. This is not the crowd who had been listening to Jesus' sermon on the mount. These are not the disciples who heard him battle with the Pharisees. This is not the crowd that had been with him from Jump Street and, and day one. He says this, Many people... Because they had heard that he had performed this sign. What sign? The raising of Lazarus. They went out to meet him. These weren't the people that have seen it. These weren't the people that are with him all this time. These are some Johnny-come-latelys. That Jesus now ignores them to teach us all a very valuable lesson. Be careful of seeking acceptance and approval from people who don't even know you. Alright? So these people didn't even really know him. They had heard about Him. They didn't spend time with Him. They weren't His friend. They weren't the people, the inner circle. Even the crowd that, have, that had seen Lazarus raised, they started telling all. So when they heard about it, they came to see who's this Jesus. Hosanna. He, don't seek approval from people who don't even know you. Goodness. People who don't know anything about what God is doing in your life. People who've not been with you through thick and thin I don't know who I came to preach this to this morning, but somebody hear me this morning. Don't seek the approval. Followers ain't friends. Likes are not from people who love you. Plaques do not confirm the purpose of God in your life. Being verified doesn't mean you're anointed. How do you compromise? The call of God to seek approval of people who don't even know you. That's the crowd that's clapping for Jesus. And they're so confused. Watch this. The same crowd that claps on Palm Sunday, five days from now, these same jokers are going to be in another crowd outside Pilate's house. The same crowd that claps for Jesus, Hosanna, Pilate gives them an option to save Jesus' life, not once, but twice. And they betrayed Jesus. Pilate says, who do you want me to free, Jesus or Barabbas? And these same people who clapped for Jesus last Sunday chose Barabbas over Jesus. And Pilate says, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Let him go or kill him. The same crowd that clapped and Hosanna and all the fanfare, Jesus, they said, crucify him. Same crowd. And you know why? Because people will flip on you. The same ones who say they've got your back will abandon you. The same people who you compromise the call of God in your life to please will abandon you when you need them the most. But the God we serve, that God will never leave you or forsake you he will never abandon you and you've got to make a decision to be committed to the call of god in your life above the approval of people because people will flip on you right. Amen. so jesus says nothing as a matter of fact in matthew mark and john he doesn't even acknowledge the crowd the only time that Jesus acknowledges the crowd is in the Gospel of Luke where we read this morning. In the Gospel of Luke, it goes down a little bit differently than it does in Matthew, Mark, and John. In the Gospel of Luke, the crowd is crying out and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, rebuke them. Hey, you've got to tell them to be quiet. These Pharisees come and say, Jesus, you've got to tell these people that are gathered around here to kind of take it down a notch. Jesus, you you have to tell them to shut up. And you know what Jesus says, the famous quote that Jesus says in Luke 19.39? He says this, some of the Pharisees says, you've got to rebuke them, tell them to shut up. And Jesus says, you know what? He, He actually commends the crowd who applauded Him and ordered. He said, you know what? I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Now, why does Jesus acknowledge the crowd in in, in Luke and not even say a thing about it? Uh, Why is that? Now, why are you asking me that? I'm I'm glad you did ask. I'm sure you did in your own hearts because you're participating in this and and I get it. Jesus applauds the crowd in Luke, but in Matthew, Mark, and John, Jesus says nothing. So why does Jesus say anything about the crowd? It's real simple. In every other gospel, the crowd is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. As a way of asking Jesus for what they want. Save us. But when you read in Luke chapter 19. Get over to verse 37. It says this. When he came near the place. Jesus. This crowd was not just praising Jesus. But they were glorifying God. For everything they had already seen. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down in the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. In Matthew, Mark, and John, the praise is simply to Jesus. But in Luke, the crowd is praising Jesus, but they're giving glory to God. And Jesus says, listen, the reason I can't tell them to shut up is because if I tell them, the rocks will cry out because nothing can stop God from being glorified. God will be glorified. And as we compare Matthew, Mark, and John versus Luke, we see a Jesus who says nothing to the crowd in the other three, but in Luke, Jesus applauds them because they're not just praising Him, they're giving God the glory. They're giving God the glory. Jesus says, listen... I can accept this, this this, pomp and circumstance as long as you don't limit it to me because whatever you've seen me do, whatever you applaud in me, I need to make certain, Jesus says, that it doesn't stop with me but, but it, that it gives God glory. And Jesus says, I didn't come here just to be patted on the back, to be waved at and shouted at, Hosanna. I didn't come here to get approval and a standing ovation. I came here that my life might bear glory to the God who empowered me. Jesus lives out what he teaches in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I'll close today with a question. Does your life bear glory to God? Do you live your life in a way that bears glory to God? Or do you live your life in a way that as long as you get some credit, as long as you're praised, well, that's really what matters. You're satisfied. Is there anything about how you live that lets someone see the God who reigns over your life? Or do you simply stop when they sort of pat you on the back? A couple questions that I'd ask you, and we'll close with all of this stuff and we'll be done. Randy, you might come up and start playing something for us. Is there anything that, that would reflect God's glory in your life? You now, here's I'm going to get personal just a little bit. Is there anything on your page that gives glory to God? Or is your page all about getting followers? Is God glorified through your posts? How can God be glorified through vulgar and offensive posts? What about your page makes people recognize that God ought to be glorified? Or are you simply looking for your own praise? are you simply putting yourself out there saying, hey, Look at what I've done. Would you please like or clap or give me a standing ovation? Would you please? The last thing I want to share with you this morning is that in Luke's Gospel, Jesus said that the crowd is glorifying God for everything that they had seen. Not for what they wanted God to do, but what they'd already seen God do. And church, when there's a moment in your life and it doesn't seem like God is doing what you want God to do, that your prayers aren't being answered with an immediate yes, and it seems like God is not doing what you want and are asking God to do, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Remember what you've already seen God do. And I wanted to share with you this morning that no matter what the last few weeks have brought in your life, your memory ought to be full of some things that you've already seen God do. They were shouting and chanting. as There was an element in that crowd that was shouting and giving praise to God because of what they had seen Him do. You've seen, church, I know some of you. You've seen God answer prayer. You've seen God heal. You've seen God make a way where there didn't seem to be a way. The bottom fell out in one afternoon and you were like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Can anybody testify in the church today? Something happened, God, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. And you've seen God open doors and and come into your life. And every now and then you need to remember what you've seen God do. Just because things aren't going your way right this minute rewind just a little bit and remember what you've seen God do in your life. You ever watch a movie or a series of movies or a series, uh, you know, on, on one of the binge-watcher show things? And uh, Yeah, that's how cool and hip I am, you know, the binge-watcher show things. But you watch something, a show or a series, and then you go back and watch it again and you see something you missed? You ever go back and you're like, I I didn't see that the first time. Now the second movie makes so much more sense. And you can think back and you're like, whoa man, now I didn't even see that. And you see something that you, you may have missed. When you look back at things that you've already seen God do in your life, I guarantee you you'll see something that you may have missed. Hindsight is 2020. In other words, when we go back and we look, we can see how the hand of God was already at work and has led us somewhere, has provided us, has done something in our life, we can look back and you say, oh, God, you were all over that. How did I miss it? God moved in ways that at the time you didn't even know or appreciate. God moved in ways, and, 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 and God has been better than you gave God credit for. And, and every now and then you just got to remember what you've already seen God do. And We give God glory because He's been better than we appreciate. So if we don't search after human approval, we must be content knowing that we're walking in the purpose of God Himself. Jesus rode into that town and those people made a big fanfare. They didn't know Him. They didn't know Him really. They had heard about Him. But he said, you know what? The plan of God will not be thwarted in my life. I did not come to save you from Rome. I came to save you from sin. And he would not be stopped. God has a purpose for your life. If you know what it is, don't let anything get in the way of that. Not the approval of people, especially people who don't care and don't even know you. Live your life for an audience of one. An audience of one. Give your Father the glory that He deserves. Don't live life for yourself and your likes and pats on the back. Does your life reflect? Does your, your page reflect? Does your social media presence, does your family, does that reflect the glory of God? Would you stand this morning, we'll close in prayer. Don't forget to stay afterward. Have fun and help out and take part in the Easter egg egg extravaganza. We kind of need some all hands on deck. The teens will all be helping. It'll be a good time. So don't rush out. Stay, uh, Stay for some hot dogs and some snacks and Uh, a really great time of fellowship but before all that if you would bow your heads this morning collectively as a church family and we always sort of say the same thing at the end of a service with our heads bowed and eyes closed in a very uh, concentrated and on purpose and reflective moment you say to the Holy Spirit what are you saying to me? what are you saying to me? And this is a time that you take during the sermon and during the service and this, this time where you say, God, I'm open to receive what you have for me. And maybe you have been just sort of living your life as f- with a, seeking approval from others and people you don't even know and how many likes and how many, this is what's important. But really what's important is the audience of one. Really what's important is for you to live your life glorifying the one who created you, who has a purpose for your life. So would you pray with me this morning? Would you seek the Lord and what He's saying to you? Maybe there's some things you need to adjust or maybe you're doing just fine. But I got a feeling in a crowd of this size, there are some people that might be getting checked by this Holy Spirit. And he might be saying, yeah, you need to adjust a few things. (laughs) So Father, as we seek you this morning, and as we bow our heads together to give you the glory that you deserve, Father, we hear the words that you've given us through your Holy Word this morning. God, I thank You that You've provided these words and You could provide some insight as to who this crowd was and what they were shouting and why. And might we, Lord, adjust our lives to give You glory, to really know who You are and what You came to do in our life. And that is to save us from our sin. that you came you came and you did very real enter enter the town riding on a colt or a donkey and lord you came and would not be stopped this was prophecy this was foretold generations ahead of time and lord in your fulfilling of that prophetic word the ultimate prophecy lord that you would die for the sins of the world would not be stopped Despite human agendas, God, that they wanted, to, they wanted to grab you, Lord, and say, you know what? Jesus, save us from this oppression. Save us, Lord, from this poverty and this, this oppression from Rome. Jesus, you came to save them and us from sin. And so, Father, as we reflectively look upon this word that you've given us this morning... Might we, Lord, be convicted and convinced that there are some things in our lives, some things how we portray our lives in this this evil comparison trap that we end up being a part of, There are some things, Lord, that we chase this popularity, this celebrity. We chase the acceptance of people, God. And the enemy would want nothing more than to get a hold of us saying that that's what really matters. But God, help us to live for an audience of one in looking for your acceptance and your approval and receiving, Lord, what you've already provided for us. And that is eternal life. Father, help us to live for you. Help us to live and conduct our lives in such a way that people would look on and they would want what we have. They would say, you know what? Why why are you different? Why don't you concern yourself with likes and approvals and verifications and all of this? Why, Why? And we might be able to tell them that we live for an audience of one. We live for the glory of our Father. And what people think really doesn't matter. God, it's what you think and what you've designed for our lives. Help us to realize that we've been created for a purpose and let nothing and no one divert us from that purpose. The purpose is to glorify you with our lives. I thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're about to do, because we receive this word and we're obedient to the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. God, would you be with us as we leave this place and as we go for a time of fellowship and the egg hunt and time of fellowship over in the the church, Lord, and we have a good time with our, our students and our kids and our young people, our children. God, I pray that everything that we do and say would bring you glory that would point to you in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here this morning and speaking to our hearts that we might look at this Palm Sunday triumphal entry a little bit differently than we've known it throughout history. And bring us back, Lord, on Good Friday to reflect on the price you paid on the cross. And, oh, Lord, bring us back for Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate like we've never celebrated your resurrection. We love you, God, this morning. We thank you for meeting us here. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen and amen, amen. Stay for the egg hunt and happy Palm Sunday, y'all.